Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast from the First Christian Church in Great Bend, Kansas. We are a church with a mission of inspiring ordinary people to live extraordinary lives for Christ. It really doesn't matter who you are, what you have done, or how you choose to worship. You belong here. We pray that this week's sermon blesses you and that you feel God's presence through it today. Today we are in the fourth and final week of our sermon series called Facing the Wilderness. And remember, what we're doing in this series is getting into the lessons offered by the wilderness stories of the Bible regarding what they have to teach us about navigating life's most difficult moments. And so this morning, and to close this series out in what I believe to be a very important way, we're going to be getting into how the wilderness oftentimes is the very thing that God uses to shape and mold us into the people he created us to be. Or how the wilderness, even though it's never fun and we never want to go through it, is sometimes the very thing that we need to get from where it is that we are to where God is calling us to be. And to see this, we turn our attention to the wilderness that Jesus faced before he began his ministry. Now, to to kind of get a big picture of what happened to Jesus in the wilderness, you first need to understand that this event happened right after Jesus was baptized in the Jordan by John. And why that's important to get is because according to the Gospels, these are the two major things that happened to prepare Jesus for his ministry. With his baptism being the event where he is filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit to go out and do that all that God has called him to do, while his temptation is the test he has to face to make sure he's ready for what comes next. Or that's why after Jesus is filled and empowered by God's Spirit through his baptism, he didn't just jump right into ministry, but instead has to face the wilderness to make sure he's ready. So the story begins in Luke 4.1. It says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. I really want you to get that. Led by the Spirit. Now, what I find so interesting about the opening part of the story, which oftentimes gets overlooked, is that the wilderness here is not something that Jesus has to face as some kind of punishment. He didn't do anything to deserve any of this. Now, what we find here is that it's actually God's Spirit, or that part of God that lives within him, he was just filled with at the baptism, that led him to this difficult place for his own good. Which means what's going on here in Jesus' wilderness is this is God's will for his life. And how we find Jesus responding is not running away, kicking and screaming because he wants nothing to do with it. No, how he responds, even though he's not going to like it, nobody likes the wilderness, is embracing it for what it is. A part of life he has to face to get ready for his ministry, to get ready for what comes next. Then as we keep reading, what happens next is a kind of explanation regarding the difficulty that Jesus is about to face. It says, for 40 days, he was tempted by the devil. And you need to know that during these 40 days, he was also fasting. No water, no food, none of that. He was facing, he was, for 40 days, he was tempted by the devil. But before you jump to the conclusion that this is something that is bad for Jesus because the devil is involved, let me just remind you that God is the one who has led Jesus out into the wilderness to face this. So that means in this episode that the devil is only doing what God needs him to do, or it seems to be the case that the devil is a tool that God is using to help Jesus get ready. And in turn, what that also helps us to see is that the difficulty that Jesus is about to face is not something we should necessarily think about in terms of temptation, where this is just about trying to get Jesus to fall on his face, to make a mistake, Now, a better way to understand what's going on here 
is Jesus is taking a test. Or now that God has given him everything that he needs to go out and save the world, before he does that, Jesus is going to have to take a test to prove that he's ready. Or to get at this in another way, just think about how many professions have to take a test before they're able to go out and do their jobs. Or more specifically, I want you to think about truck drivers, what they have to do before they're allowed to get on the road and drive those big rigs with all that weight behind them. Because before they're even allowed to to get into the truck and start driving, they got to attend all the classes, learn how to do it right. And then once they finish all that work, they've got to take the big CDL test, which by the way, is not easy. I think most people fail it on the first go round. It's, It's a difficult thing to do. And the reason they're required to take this test is to prove themselves. It's to prove They not only know what they need to know, but they can take what they have learned and use it on a day-to-day basis to drive a truck safely. And of course, these kind of tests are not a form of punishment, even though when you're taking the test, it feels like punishment. Can I get an amen on that one, right? No, in almost every profession that requires some kind of specific knowledge, people are required to pass a test to prove that they're qualified. Or even if you graduate from college with an accounting degree, to become a CPA, a certified public accountant, you got to take a couple of really hard tests to do that. For doctors and lawyers, it's the same thing. Even after these people have spent years working hard to learn what it is that they're going to need for their field, there is a test at the end. Which, by the way, is not a bad thing. No, testing in this sense is actually what's best for everyone involved. In that it keeps people who do not have the ability to do something well from getting in over their heads. While at the same time protecting everyone else from having to deal with someone who doesn't know what they're doing. Or just imagine what it would be like if any and everyone could just hop in a truck and start driving thousands of pounds of load down the highway. Or when you go to see a doctor, you don't know if they've had any education or not, right? By the way, that's the way it worked for a long time in the world and even in this country. But luckily, we have uh, people who have to go through all of this and take a test to prove themselves. So in my mind, that's very similar to what is going on as Jesus has his showdown with the devil. And that now that God has infused him with all that power and wisdom, the question becomes, will he take all of that and go out and use it to accomplish God's will, or will he use it on himself? Because there's absolutely no doubt it wouldn't be a great idea to send someone out with all that power and wisdom if they're not ready. So again, what's going on here is the Spirit leads Jesus out into the wilderness as Jesus is about to take one of the most important tests of his life. And this is what happens. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. If you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Or Jesus, given that we both know you're God's son, all you have to do after fasting for 40 days to stop those hunger pains which have taken over your life is to tell this rock to become bread and it will become bread. So why don't you just use that power on yourself to prove who you really are. Get you something to eat. That's simple. And yet Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Man shall not live on bread alone. Or, hey, devil, this is not about me and what I want. This is about what God sent me to do. And I choose to trust and follow him even when things get hard. Then to take things to the next level, we find the devil stepping up his game by actually going on to offer Jesus the entire world. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all of their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to whoever I want to if 
you worship me. It will all be yours. Or, hey, Jesus, you see all of this? Well, if you want, I can make you king of the world. In an instant, because it's in my power, I can hand over the keys to all of these kingdoms, making you the wealthiest, most powerful man in the world. And just imagine, not only what you could do with all of that, but how amazing your life would be if you really were the king of the world. And all you have to do to make that happen is bow down and worship me. Or maybe to get at the kind of test that Jesus is taking here, just take a moment and imagine the devil showing up in your life and offering you a chance to be the king of the world, right? You can either stay in your life the way it is, or you can become the king of the world, right? That's, what kind of temptation is that? I think we would all have to take that into consideration. And yet Jesus, proving that he's not in it for himself, says, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Or, hey, devil, all of that sounds great, but the truth is I'm already on my way to being king of the world, but the kind of king I'm going to be looks nothing like anything that you're talking about. No, I'm going to be the kind of king that goes on to save the world by serving instead of being served and giving my life on the cross. Because again, this is not about me. And yet even with that, the devil's still not done. Because with this last question, he still has one more little trick up his sleeve to try to get Jesus to falter. So the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift up their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And what I find so interesting about this test is how clever the devil is by using scripture. He's quoting scripture to Jesus to try to convince Jesus that it's okay and even right to throw himself down off the temple, basically saying that even God says that he's going to take care of you no matter what. So why don't you just go ahead and prove yourself to be the son of God? Why don't you just take that jump? And even more than that, imagine if the people standing in the temple were able to see something as miraculous as you jumping off the temple and yet you did not fall to your death. The angels came to keep you safe. No doubt those people would follow you if you would just jump. So why do you do it? But in response, Jesus goes on to prove that he's ready for ministry by saying this. It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Or devil, God is not the one who needs the test here to prove himself. Right? He's God. This is about me doing what I need to do to love and serve him with all my heart, mind, soul, body, and strength. So that is what I choose to do. I will not put my God to the test. And with that, Jesus passes his test with flying colors. He proves himself to be ready to go out and start his ministry, which, by the way, is exactly what happens. So right after these events, you got the baptism, then you got the wilderness, and this is what happens next. Luke 4, 14 through 15. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. Or now that Jesus has passed this test, immediately he begins to go out and do his work of bringing about the salvation and the restoration of all things. Now, what I think Jesus' showdown with the devil has to teach us about facing our own wilderness is that again, sometimes, and you really need to hear me say sometimes, because it's not always the case that God calls us into the wilderness. No, sometimes the wilderness just happens or we do it to ourselves. So again, sometimes the wilderness is not a bad thing. 
is not something that we should run from, but instead is the very thing that we need to get from where we are to where God is calling us to be. Or again, just like professionals have to take their tests to prove they've got what it takes to do their job, sometimes the difficulty of the wilderness is where we prove ourselves, where we learn what we need to learn, which means sometimes the wilderness is God's will for our lives. Do you guys hear that? Sometimes the wilderness is God's will for our lives. Now, one of the things you will notice is the wilderness never feels like God's will for our lives. But sometimes the wilderness is exactly where we need to be. But then, to to continue to push this even further, given that we are not all Jesus, and sometimes when we're in the wilderness, we fail the test, what I want you guys to realize is God can even take those moments of failure that we have and use that to mold and shape us into the people he created us to be. Or, for example, it's quite clear that Moses and the Israelites didn't pass their tests in the wilderness, but in some instances failed absolutely miserably. And yet, notice God didn't give up on them, but instead used that wilderness or that time of difficulty to help them figure out everything they needed to get figured out, have to shape and mold them into the people he created them to be, which in turn actually makes it pretty clear that the wilderness we face, no matter how hard it may get, are actually some of the most important parts of our lives. Even though they never feel that way. The wilderness is some of the most important parts of our lives, even though they never feel that way. And to see this in your own life, take a moment and think about the most difficult thing that you've ever run up against. And you guys know what I'm talking about. It comes right to mind right away. And you might be living it right now in this very moment. Right, That moment that you just would do anything to get out of. That moment that is laying you down. Now, Think about everything you've learned in that wilderness and how that experience actually shaped and molded you into the person that you are today, giving you the tools that you need to go out and do even bigger and better things with your life. Or how without that event, that wilderness, you wouldn't be the person you are today. Well, for me, when I think back to some of the difficult things that I had to endure as a young minister, like serving a church that didn't have enough money to pay for my salary, which, by the way, they didn't tell me about until I was hired. (laughs) Come on now. This is my first ministry job. This is the first uh, attempt. I was doing youth ministry, moved to Oklahoma City, took this job, and they, they, they told me later that they hired me on faith. It was $50,000 worth of face in a budget that was like $130,000. It was not a good place to be. But I am actually now so grateful for that. Because what I learned in that wilderness of trying to raise that money, of, of trying to save that church and bring everybody together to get this accomplished, is the wisdom or the very things that I now use on a daily basis to help this church not just survive, but to thrive. Or the truth is, without all of that difficulty that I wanted nothing to do with in the Mormon, it was horribly stressful. Not only would I not be the minister I am today, but I'm pretty sure as a church we wouldn't be who we are today because I brought all of that experience, all of that difficulty with me. And it makes me better. Which ultimately means... If we're the kind of people who really do want to go out and live into the extraordinary lives that God has created us for, then that means in a whole lot of cases, we've got to learn not to run from the wilderness, but instead learn to face and embrace it for the gift and the opportunity it has to offer. 
so that God can continue to use those difficult moments to mold and shape and teach us as we strive to get from where we are to where it is that God needs us to be. Right, friends? Embrace the wilderness. It'll be difficult. It'll be one of the hardest things you'll ever do. But if you embrace the wilderness, you will find even purpose and meaning in those difficult places. And ultimately, if you stick with it, if you don't give up, you'll not get stuck. But eventually, you'll get to where God needs you to be. Let us pray. Father, as we bring this sermon series to a close, my prayer is very simple. Help us to be a people who embrace the wilderness. Help us to be a people that when we're up against it, that don't try to do it all by ourselves, but lean in to you and hold on to the fact that what you seem to do in our lives in the wilderness is what's best for us. The molding and shaping, the helping us to, to make decisions and learn things we would have never learned any other way. So as your people, Lord, help us to be the kind of people that with your help that can face and endure anything, learning what we need to learn to become who you created us to be. Lord, we pray all of this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon, and we hope you are able to join us next week. To learn more about FCC Great Bend, visit us online at firstchristianchurchgb.com. Again, that's firstchristianchurchgb.com. God bless and have a great week.